We're going to be in Genesis chapter 41 this morning. I would encourage you to take out your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 41. If uh, you don't have a Bible, we'd love to share one with you. And if you just slip up your hand, one of our ushers will be glad to hand out a Bible. We got lots. Um, you're going to need them to follow along in Genesis 41. This uh, passage will not be on the screen this morning. Genesis chapter 41, that's on page 30. Uh, if you're using the Bibles, the ushers are handing out. We just call it the Bridge Bible. Do you ever get tired of waiting? You know, like waiting at the grocery store, waiting in line, uh, waiting at a stoplight to turn green. Um, you ever get tired of waiting in traffic? A few weeks ago in January, I was coming back from a conference in Chicago, and I was traveling up by 94 Friday afternoon. It was that snow day. And I got just south of Baraboo and pulled up to a parking lot on I-94. And then I just had to sit there and wait and wait. And um, I was starting to get a little bit nervous about waiting I was getting a little bit low on gas. I intended to get gas, but I, so I had to wait. And um, we pulled up about eight feet, and then we had to wait. And I started looking around for restroom facilities, and there were none, and we just had to wait. And, but, but it was okay. But after two hours, <laughs> after two hours, the traffic began to move. And sometimes waiting can be hard. You ever get tired of waiting for God? You ever get tired of waiting on God to answer your prayers? You know, please, God, show me the right career path that you want me to go. God, please help my son or daughter to follow Jesus. God, please help my husband to understand who Jesus is and why he came to this earth. Please help him to become a Christian. Or, God, please help my mother who struggles with alcohol. God, please help me to find a job because this is not what I went to school. This is not why I w- what I was trained for. Or God, please heal my father who has cancer. God, please help our marriage. We fight and struggle and I keep trying, but there seems to be no change or no help. Do you ever find it hard to wait for God to answer? Do you ever feel like you're in God's waiting room? Joseph was in God's waiting room when we come to Genesis chapter 41. So let's look at the passage, Genesis chapter 41. See if you were reminded some things about the story as we go. We started back in Genesis chapter 37. And in uh, verse 1 through 8, we have dream trouble. This is about Joseph getting out of the pit today, and we start with some dream trouble. And the time is in verse 1. When two full years had passed. After two full years had passed, what? Well, Joseph had interpreted two dreams while he was in prison, one for the chief cupbearer, one for the chief baker, And then he was forgotten. Remember that? In Genesis chapter 40, and the cupbearer forgot Joseph. Two years, sitting there in prison, waiting. God, do something. What's this all about? And so Joseph is in this 
waiting room. The cupbearer was restored to his position. The chief baker was executed, just like Joseph had interpreted their dreams. Also in verse 1, Pharaoh had a dream. This is the first dream. Pharaoh had a dream. It's around 1896 B.C., by the way, just in care if you're keeping track of the date. And he was standing by the Nile when out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. Now, this is his dream. So, you know, if it sounds a little unusual, it's his dream. Verse 3, after them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. And the Pharaoh woke up. So this is a scene in Egypt along the Nile River. The Nile River is extremely important in the life of Egypt and certainly in the life of the ancient Egypt. And the river itself was viewed as a god. And um, so um, out of the river came seven very healthy cows. And their custom that the cows liked the river. They would go into the river to cool off. You know, they would wade in kind of deep, kept them from uh, insects, and it just was comfortable. So this site is just pretty normal. And um, so out of the river they come. But after that, there are seven ugly skinny cows. And this is not the dessert. They're uh, ugly cows. And the problem was uh, the seven skinny cows ate the seven fat cows. So we have cannibalism in this dream. This is not normal, if you didn't know. For Some of you don't know much about farms, but cows don't or normally eat cows. Second dream, verses 5 through 7. He, Pharaoh, fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin head of heads of grain swallowed up to seven healthy full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. So this is a little bit similar, a little bit different. Seven heads of grain growing on one single stalk. That would be a pretty healthy, whatever's growing here, it's, it's multiplying, it's fruitful, and could be corn. And it, they even had corn in those days that, that could produce seven ears of corn. The seven other heads of grain sprouted, perhaps on single stalks. The text doesn't say clearly. Uh, these heads were underdeveloped, underdeveloped, and they were not growing properly. And these heads uh, were cannibalistic as well. And if you don't know, you know, grain heads of grain do not normally eat other heads of grain. This was a problem for uh, Pharaoh. Verse 8, looking for answers. In the morning, his mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told him his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. So Pharaoh sends for his advisors, and he's looking for answers to the, these troubling dreams. Interesting thing, you know, one of the things that I just want to make clear here, don't make dreams too important. The Bible does not make dreams that important. In this case, you have a pagan king who has a dream. And God uses a godly man to interpret the dreams for him, to help him. 
There is another case in the Old Testament, and it is another pagan king. And the young servant, the young slave, is Daniel, and he interprets dreams. But this is not normal, so don't make too much of the dream thing. Um, just be understand and be aware how God can work. So the magicians were scholars. They were trained in magic and arts, and they were trained in dreams. Dreams are very important in Egypt. So they had books written about dreams, and these magicians would go to the books and look for clues to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. They searched their libraries. They counseled together. No answer. But perhaps... The true and living God kept these very smart men from figuring out what the dreams were about. It's only a guess that I have. In chapter uh, 41, verses 9 through 14, the dream interpreter, second on your outline, and I encourage you to follow along in your outline. And then we see uh, the forgotten remembered. Remember in chapter 40, verse 23, the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, he forgot him. Joseph was forgotten. And now the forgotten remembered. Look at verse 9. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I'm reminded of my shortcomings. It's kind of a humble way to... Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain guard. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there, now that I remember it, Uh, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position and that other man was hanged. So the whole story comes out. The chief cupbearer just remembers now about Joseph. Joseph. Happened two years ago. A two-year memory lapse for Joseph in prison. Verse 14, the dream interpreter found. Look at verse 14. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph. He was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. So Joseph is summoned out of prison in 1896 B.C. before the most powerful man on earth. Because that's how powerful the Pharaoh was during these days. And I love the detail of Scripture. Joseph had to shave and change his clothes before he could stand before Pharaoh. Joseph, as a Hebrew, had very long hair. Uh, Joseph, as a Hebrew, had a very long beard. And he is required, before he could go before Pharaoh, to shave his head and to shave his beard. And Joseph uh, is becoming a cross-cultural missionary. He is going to stand before the most powerful king on earth as an ambassador for God. And verses 15 through 32, um, the interpretation of the dreams. First, we see God's ambassador, verse 15 and 16. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream. No one can interpret it, but I've heard it said that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. 
And uh, by the way, Pharaoh, probably not a dummy here. Pharaoh would most likely have done a background check on Joseph before he called him into the room. You know, Pharaoh knew about Potiphar, the story. Potiphar was a trusted official. Pharaoh had heard the story about the captain of, of the guard in prison where Joseph had been appointed and where Joseph had served. And uh, no doubt Pharaoh had done thorough research before he was willing uh, to have Joseph come before him. Um, and so Pharaoh says, um, I've heard it said that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And then verse 16, I cannot do it, Joseph replied, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. I'm really impressed with young Joseph's boldness. Joseph does not take credit for interpreting these dreams. He was given a skill by God. It would be easy to say, I did it. But he's standing before the most powerful man in the world and he deflects the credit back to God. And that would be pretty risky among the gods of Egypt. You know, Pharaoh puts people to death once in a while when he wants to. It would have been a little bit risky to talk about the God of the Hebrews in front of the Pharaoh. And Joseph um, gives glory to the one who had given him the ability to understand the dream. He makes sure that Pharaoh knows who should get the credit. And... He says, I cannot do it, but God will give Pharaoh the answers. I don't know the answers. I haven't even heard the dreams yet. Yet I am confident, Joseph says, I am confident in the one who can give the answers. And I'm trusting him for the outcome of this. Um, Some of you may feel like you're in a waiting room. And here's my question. Do you feel like you can trust God for the outcome as you wait? Do you feel like you can trust the one who holds your future and wait? And if he wants you to wait, is that okay? If he wants you to wait. Um, Here is Joseph, all freshly shaved and bathed, standing before Pharaoh. He is an ambassador for God. You know what? You are an ambassador too, aren't you? You are an ambassador for God. You are his representative. Second Corinthians 5 verse 20 reminds us that Paul says this for us, the church, we who say we're followers of Christ, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We are Christ's ambassadors. It makes a difference how we live before our our boss, before our classmates, before our professors. It makes a difference how we live before our spouse, how we live before our children, how we live before our parents, because we too are ambassadors like Joseph. So now in verses 17 through 21, the first dream of Pharaoh is recounted. Look at verse 17. The Pharaoh said to Joseph, in my dream, I was standing on the bank of the Nile. When out of the river there came seven cows, fat and sleek. They grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows came up, scrawny and very ugly and lean. Yuck. I had never seen such ugly cows in all the land of Egypt. 
The lean and ugly cows ate up the fat cows. And so uh, he just repaints that whole picture of the ugly cows eating up the fat cows. Second dream, verses 22 through 24. In my dreams, I also had, saw seven heads of grain full and good growing on a single stalk. And after them, seven other heads sprouted, withered and thin, scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven good heads. I told this to the magicians, but none could explain it to me. So both dreams are recounted and the interpretation is given in 25 through 32. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. This is a pretty quick answer. He's heard the dreams. God is about to reveal to Pharaoh. Now, think about this. How long has Joseph been waiting? And now there's going to come an event in history that's going to change the course of history right now. Both dreams have the seven, same meaning, verse 26. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one and the same. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up after are seven years, and so are the seven worthless, worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. So, two dreams. Seven good years of abundance. God is talking about the entire Egyptian economy when he's talking about livestock and agricultural. It all rests on these two things. Two dreams. One is about livestock. One is about their crops. He's talking about their future economy, and the impact this will have. Verse 28, it's just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he's about to do. Remember Joseph? Hated by his brothers, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery to a caravan going to Egypt, sold to Potiphar. Things went well in Potiphar's house. Then he's thrown into jail. Years pass. Years pass. And now God has raised him up. Verse 29. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance of Egypt will be forgotten. People tend to forget quickly. And the famine will ravage the land. The abundance of the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows will be so severe. God is telling Pharaoh the commodities market is going to go off the charts for seven years and then it's going to violently crash to the ground and times are going to be really, really hard because there is a cataclysmic economic crash that's coming. It's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to be a stock market crash in 24 hours. It's going to be a day after day after day. And the thing is just going to totally collapse. 
All the excess will be gone. All the necessities will virtually disappear. Verse 32, the reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. I would imagine that sounded pretty firm. I would imagine that was, this is kind of serious. And God's going to do it soon. Sounds pretty final. Serious, a little foreboding. Um, The plan for the future, verses 33 through 34. Look at verse 33. We need a wise man. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man to put him in charge of the land of Egypt. So Joseph Joseph is going to give advice to the most powerful political figure on earth. And he didn't ask for advice. Keep that in mind. You know, Pharaohs were viewed as gods in Egypt. And he was, Joseph was asked for an interpretation, not for advice. And now Joseph is giving advice and he's speaking for God. And then he continues in verses uh, 34 and 35. You need to save one-fifth of your income during seven years of abundance for a famine reserve. So save one-fifth. This means a 20% tax, by the way. Look at verse uh, 34 and 35. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. Um, you know, I can just imagine his, his uh, magicians and people around. Is this really necessary? You know, and wait, t- wait till this starts to happen. Wait till there is an abundance. And uh, how are people going to respond to this? And does this really make sense? Do you think this is really going to happen? You know, if you, Pharaoh, if you think about your own life experience. So appoint these commissioners, verse 35, they should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities uh, for food. Sounds pretty practical. Um, If there actually is a severe family, this sounds like it could work. And uh, verse 36, need to use this reserves to help the country for seven years of famine. The food should be held in reserve for the country, the whole country of Egypt, to be used during the seven years of famine so that the country may not be ruined by famine. There it is. It's a good plan, uh, but it's going to be terribly unpopular. Can you imagine the responsibility to administrate a plan like this? So the plan is embraced, verse 37 through 40. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh. And man, you've got to give this guy credit. Because this sounds, I mean, how many times do you sit down and say, okay, here's what's going to happen. You're going to have seven years of abundance. They're going to be really good. But there's going to be seven bad years. And you're going to have to do something radical to deal with this, to handle it. Something really radical. You're going to have to set aside 20% of everything every year for seven years. Ah, I don't know if I want to do that. But the plan seemed good to Pharaoh and all his officials. You know what? At that very moment, I think God sort of gave them a little bit of a glimpse of this is a a God thing. They didn't know it was a God thing. They didn't know how to identify. But I think God helped them see this is true. This is coming. This is real. Verse 38, so Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this one in whom is, is the spirit of God? Pharaoh is speaking to his advisors, his mag- magicians, and he's asking them, and he's making this assumption because he knows the answer. 
There's no one like this, this wise person. He's talking about Joseph standing right before him. There's no one like this one. Can we find anyone like this man? The one in whom is the spirit of God. Now, be, be careful. Pharaoh did not know who the spirit of God was. Pharaoh was talking about Joseph has a God, and it seems to be working for Joseph. I, Pharaoh didn't know who this God was, but he's going to acknowledge that the God that is working with Joseph seems to have something for us here. So um, God has gotten Pharaoh's attention. Verse 39, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. This is a very high compliment for a Pharaoh of Egypt talking about a prisoner who is a Hebrew. That says a lot about Joseph's life as he waited. Verse 40. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people and all my people are submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Joseph is placed in charge as the plan administrator. Joseph is suddenly promoted from prisoner to royalty. Joseph is given leadership, responsibility, and authority, and he's given the number two position in all of Egypt. I don't think we can imagine what that would look like, how great that would be from a world or human perspective or a secular perspective. Number five, we come to our last section, verses 41 through 57, and Joseph gets a new job, verses 41 through 43, a new job. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Not a bad job description. Here it is. All of the land of Egypt, you are in charge. Verse 42, then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger. Little signet ring. This was the master card of Egypt. It would buy anything. It could do anything. It represented all of the money of Egypt and all of the authority of Egypt. And the little signet ring was a mark from that ring that was placed in, on a clay tablet to mark official business. So in the name of the Pharaoh of Egypt, Joseph would be able to do anything. He dressed him in robes of fine linen. He's marked out as royalty and put a gold chain around his neck. Um, this was a very significant leap in his social status. He was now in the court of the Pharaoh, and he is going to be the number two guy in all of Egypt. Verse 43, it's not over yet. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command, and men shouted before him, make way. Thus put him in charge of the whole, thus he put him in charge in the whole land of Egypt. So whenever there was a procession and the God of Egypt rode in his chariot, Pharaoh went first. And there were men out in front of Pharaoh shouting, make way, make way. Here comes Pharaoh. Right behind Pharaoh was another chariot with men running ahead of that chariot. chariot. And it was Joseph's chariot. And men were shouting, make way. I don't know what Joseph got called. 
but he was the number two guy. And guess what? If Pharaoh wasn't present, who's the number one guy? It's going to be Joseph. So he has nice wheels. Verse 44, a new job description. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am, a, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift a hand in all of Egypt. That's pretty much absolute power. Absolute human power. Now, guys, you know, we see how great this could be extremely tempting for a guy to be elevated to this kind of power and to misuse it and abuse it. Extremely tempting. We forget that sometimes. But what do we know about Joseph? Joseph has been waiting. Joseph is being prepared. Joseph has learned about discipline. Joseph has learned about self-control. Joseph has learned about the wisdom of God and what it means to walk with God in difficult times. Verse um, uh, 45, a new family. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name. Whenever you come to something that you can't um, speak clearly about in the Bible, just say it fast. It's like Pharaoh gave the name of Joseph Zaphonoth Paneah. And he gave him Asenoth, daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. This was a great honor by Pharaoh to, to rename Joseph. It was a new identity that fit in the land of Egypt. It was a great honor that Pharaoh would do this. It was a great honor that Pharaoh himself would give Joseph the gift of a wife. In his culture, this was really a big deal. Now, as I read this text, it just raised that little bit of question in the back of my mind about a spiritually mixed message. How does this work? Because this is not somebody who knows the Old Testament or who knows, uh, there's good reason why they don't know the Old Testament. They just don't know much about the true, the Old Testament hasn't been written yet. And the true and living God, they don't, this person, this person is the daughter of the priest of a pagan God. And so this starts out with this spiritual mix in their relationship. And, you know, I'm, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God how this works. And, um, but look what happens. Seven years of abundance, verses 46 through 49. Verse 46, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the uh, service of the Pharaoh, king of Egypt. 30 years, Okay. Let's do the math here. Remember, he was 17. He was thrown into the pit. He ends up in the prison. In two years, he has to wait. But two years after the, the uh, dreams interpreted of the cupbearer and the baker, 13 years he's been waiting. Some of you have waited 13 years for things. He's been in prison. Would you pick that? Would you pick prison to wait on God? Or would you pick prison to be involved in working out the purposes of God? Joseph didn't pick it, but that's where he is. Verse 47, during the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully, just as God said. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored in the cities in each city. 
He put food grown in the field surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Now, we can just read that and go on to the next verse, but this was an incredibly hard task. Think about this. This could have been a fiasco. You know, Joseph had this plan that he's representing God and people could have, this, this thing all could have caved in with just the logistics of where are we going to put this? How fast can we build these barns? And how do we take care of it? How does it get there? How do we guard it? This is a huge task, a huge responsibility logistically. And this was probably unpopular. Why do we have to do this? You know, this is kind of silly. You know, Pharaoh's appointed that Hebrew. This is stupid. You know, I bet people uh, criticized. I bet people laughed. You know, people laughed at Noah when he's building the ark. That seemed pretty silly. Here's Joseph storing up all this grain. Verses 50 to 52. Now Joseph has two sons. Two sons, 50 to 52. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenoth, daughters of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph has a family. This teenager who drives a new chariot, who is from Canaan, is now a powerful leader in Egypt with two boys. Verse 51, Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, is it because God has made me forget all about my trouble and my father's household? There's been healing in Joseph's life. It also suggests there's been some deep hurt in Joseph's life. And this is a this is not, by the way, an Egyptian name, Manasseh. And it's a Hebrew name, and it's a name about God. And it's a name that tells a story about Joseph's life. This says something about Joseph's heart and how it's been in the process of being healed. Verse 52, the second son he named Ephraim. And he said, it's because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. This boy's name is about God and is a testimony to God about God's work in Joseph's life. So stop and think about this for a minute. What kind of impact did Joseph have on his family? How many Egyptians' wives would give their boys' names Jewish names in the land of Egypt? I think this is very um, indicative of the impact Joseph had on his family, that his wife was wholly supportive of Joseph and his relationship with God. You don't name Egyptian boys with Hebrew names unless there's something pretty powerful, powerful happening because she knew who this God was. She knew that Joseph did not worship the gods of Egypt. She knew about the true and living God and these children were named about his work. Verses 53 through 57, seven years of famine. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end. By the way, how old is Joseph now? 37. Man, it's coming fast. 
And seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the lands, but in the whole land of Egypt there was food. When all the e- Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. Do what he tells you. The most powerful man in all of the earth relies on one man, Joseph, God's representative. Verse 56 When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout the land. What a brilliant idea. Joseph sold grain to the Egyptians. They were the people that grew the stuff. But Joseph had a plan. 20% we're going to save, and then we're going to let you buy it back. What's the advantage of that? Well, guess what? If you buy grain, you do not buy extra grain you don't need. You do not waste it. It's very measured, very calculated, and there's a great income here. Much wisdom. Pharaoh gains income. Verse 57, all the countries came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in the world. What an interesting situation. God has orchestrated all the neighboring countries to come to Joseph, one man who is in charge, and they have to come to him to buy food. And he is the one who is an ambassador for the true and living God. So Joseph, the despised brother, thrown into the pit and into prison, is now out of the pit. Let's talk about some lessons from uh, chapter 42, chapter 41. We'll talk about lessons 42 next week. Next week's facing the past, chapter 42. Facing the past. Expect God. Here's the first one. Expect God's timetable to look different than yours. Submit yourself to the Lord of time and eternity. Expect God's timetable to be different to the one that you have planned. Um, We live in such a fast-paced culture. We want quick answers. We want quick fixes. And God's view of time is much different. God's view of wisdom is likely a little different than yours and sometimes mine. The question is, can you submit to God's leadership right now? As you are in God's waiting room, can you submit to what God wants to do? This past week in our Experiencing God study, I came across this quote, strive to keep your life God-centered because He is the one who sets the agenda. Experiencing God, page 38. Some of you already read that this week, didn't you? Second lesson, number two, God is the problem solver for every person. Pharaoh had a problem. He sought counsel from the magicians. Pharaoh's answers came from God. Joseph faced a few problems in his life in prison. God solved Joseph's prison situation. And God uh, is a problem solver for every person, and God is your problem solver. I hope you believe that. Number three, God is the God of weather and climate conditions. God brought abundant crops with appropriate rains. God brought famine and scorching Sirocco desert winds. And God removed the food supply and humbled the proud Egyptian economy. And God can do that whenever he wants. And he's the God who controls our weather. 
He put Joseph in some hard circumstances because of weather, and he can put us in hard circumstances because of weather. Number four, fourth lesson, God can get you out of the pit that you're in. God can get you out of the pit you're in. Joseph was in a place of human despair, hated by his brothers, thrown into the pit, sold to the passing caravan, sold to Potiphar, thrown into jail because of Potiphar's wife. It wasn't fair, and he was forgotten in prison. And Joseph sought to walk with his God even though his life was hard for 13 years. Then God abruptly changed his situation. I don't know what pit you might be in, but God is the one who can get you out. God is the one who will be your help. God is the one who will be your strength. God is the one who will give you wisdom. God is the one who will show you the way if you choose that. Verse five, or lesson number five, God uh, recommends, this is one of the few times that I'll use the word God recommends. God recommends that you manage your resources well for a future rainy day and or famine, as the case might be. This is kind of an aside application. Think about this. Seven years of prosperity, seven years of abundance. Have you ever seen that in America? Where the stock market went off the charts, the mutual funds went off the charts. Everybody seemed to be making money and everybody was getting a raise and lots of people were getting promotions and new jobs were created. And then kind of all hell broke loose with the economy. Here, seven years of an economic downturn. And all all God told Joseph to do was set aside some financial margin for the future. Save something for the future. You know, sharp business people just know this. They know that their income is going to, there are going to be times when it's almost flat and they have, to, they have to have money set aside so they can continue to draw a salary, some kind of income to pay the bills. And this is just simple advice. Saving because there are going to be times when the future, there's going to be practically nothing. And so have something set aside. Now, I know how people live. I've lived that way. Um, I know it's easy to say, well, I don't have any money. I can't save any money. I know how that is. It's why so many people lost their homes. People can't pay their bills because they didn't save any money. Businesses didn't have enough reserve. Now, I'm not trying to say everything is that simple, but I'm saying this is just wise principles for living. Set aside something for the future book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 6. Here's a little bit of wisdom. Go to the ant, you sluggard, you lazy person. Consider the ways and be wise. It has, the, the ants has no commander, no overseer or ruler, verse 8. Yet it stores its provisions in the summer, gathers its food at harvest, saving for the future. It's just that simple. That's all Joseph did. He was brilliant. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? We shouldn't talk anymore about sluggards, but let's just go on. It's a sixth lesson. Don't expect people to like God's plan for accomplishing, accomplishing his purposes. Don't expect people to like God's plans for accomplishing his purposes. And I said it earlier, would you pick prison to accomplish God's purposes? I wouldn't. Would you pick an economic crash with the loss of the food supply? to accomplish God's purposes. I probably wouldn't pick that. So 
question is, is God using your difficult circumstances to accomplish his purposes? I don't know. If we could have interviewed Joseph in prison, say on year six, he'd been in there, he's been in there six years and he's waiting, trying to walk with God, trying to serve God, being a good steward, being honest, a man of integrity. And then if we could have interviewed him, would he have known what God had intended to do? We want the answer. So if I know what this is going to turn out to be, I might be willing to hang in there, but I don't know what's going to happen. Joseph didn't know. He just hung in there. So when the stage was set and God would put him on a world stage, he was the man for the plan. Number seven, be patient and wait upon the Lord to work in your situation. Be patient and wait. Joseph had to wait. Joseph had to be patient, and I'm sure it was hard. Yet God was preparing him to be the man God wanted him to be, a disciplined man, a man who trusted God, a man who was ready and, and uh, not going to be self-centered and make it all about him and, and a good life and about having fun and, being, and seeking comfort. Be patient and wait. Psalm 27, 14. Wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Psalm 62, 5 through 7, find rest. Another way to translate verse 5 is wait. Wait, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. Isaiah 30, verse 18. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait. For him, I want to be in a place of blessing. That's God's favor. And sometimes it means wait. Isaiah 64, verse 4. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who, what? Wait for him. So walk with God while you wait for God, then like Joseph, you will be ready to take some bigger steps and get some bigger answers. Let's stand together and pray. Father, I want to thank you uh, for Genesis chapter 41. And I thank you for the man Joseph and his character. Thank you for what we can learn about you. And we just acknowledge that you are the all-wise God and you are the sovereign God. And you've called us to be your servants. God, it's my prayer that um, as we wait on you, that we grow in our trust and our confidence of you and that we discover um, your purposes in our lives, your purposes for the bridge how you want to grow us and develop us. Teach us to wait. Teach us to trust. Teach us to be faithful for Jesus' sake. Amen.